are the voyages of the starship Therapize. Its continuing mission, to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Center the reminder for our small group discussion on the aesthetics of politics ages ago. She still hasn't shown. Ugh, never mind. I know where the captain is. <sighs> All right. While we're waiting, I might as well do our intros. This is Spock, obviously. Larissa Garski, licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, researcher, first officer, and I'm quite perturbed. And Justine Maston, LMFT, Yogini, writer, captain of the Starship Therapize, is hiding. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists, well, hold on. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists, unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. All right, here we are. Computer, open holodeck doors. One day more. Captain. Another day, another destiny. What are you doing? This never-ending road to Calvary. These men who seem to know my crime will surely come a second time one day more. Are you serious right now? Uh, 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 um, hmm? What? Uh, Spock, you look upset. Sir, I simply cannot. Hmm, are, are you upset because you wanted to join me? Captain, we were supposed to discuss aesthetics and politics at 0800. Ugh, yes. Well... You avoided me on purpose. Well, yes. But, Spock, you know how much I hate politics. But the Frankfurt School is different. How? How is it possibly different? I just... I don't know what to say. Okay, well, clearly... Mistakes were made on both sides. So um, perhaps I did avoid this discussion. And perhaps you have been overly forceful in insisting that we discuss this. Is this supposed to be an apology, sir? I mean, I am sorry. But are you sorry? I'm sorry I ever... Yes, I'm sorry. Can we please do the show now? You did agree you thought this topic was important. Ugh, fine, you have a point. But only if you agree to join me in the part of Eponine in my hollow novel after. Sir, you know I'm not an alto. Grantaire? One of the student revolutionaries? I suppose I could blend into the chorus. Excellent! Fine, let's do politics. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great. Wonderful. <laughs> um, but now we actually have to start talking about politics. Another day, another destiny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe let's back up. And uh, as usual, kind of our openers to the show are riffs on like our real life experiences. Mm -hmm. So this was yeah, my isn't idea. That funny? I know, right? I'm, su I'm sure that listeners are just going to be shocked. It's never occurred to them. <laughs> so this was my idea. 
And Mm -hmm. you, I think like initially the vibe I got was you kind of like grudgingly agreed. And then later on, because I felt bad because I felt like I was kind of pulling your leg because I I was listeners. Mm -hmm. I definitely was. Um, I feel like we like checked in again and you're like, no, I think we should. Um, And then from that point on, we just kind of avoided doing any and all prep work for this episode. Um, yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. Are we recording true. this? Is this? We are. Well, because okay. part of the reason I thought it would be okay. good to record this is to like name and acknowledge that this is a challenging topic for us as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> legit. I'll, 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 I'm down with that. And, and maybe we could even like take a minute to name what like for us felt challenging about it. And that could be like a, a launching point into, you know, more of the details of what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Um, you, you are, you are making a great plan as is your want to do. <laughs> That's true. Um, why whenever I-, I get nervous, I'm like, you know what I should do? I should make a plan. I should make a plan. And I'm like, I'm nervous. You know what I should do? Run away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go hide on the holodeck and sing show tunes. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Um, so why didn't I want to talk about this? I didn't want to talk about this because I don't like talking about politics in general, which might surprise people because I, um, I mean, in, in work and life, I am, I am very political. Yes. Um, but that is very different than talking about politics. Mm. Like I, um, absolutely. I am, I am extremely liberal in my, uh, political presentation and i'm all about questioning the status quo whatever that means um but when it comes to the nitty-gritty of like absolutely i'm happy to 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 talk about trump v humanity um but (laughs) but when we get into like different liberal political figures versus other liberal political figures i do not like to get into the minutiae which you very much do Mm, that's true and it makes me very sad (laughs) when you tell me some awful thing about a politician that i thought was pretty okay and when you when you brought up this idea i was like oh no you're gonna tell me awful things about people that i feel are pretty okay and that's gonna make me cry and, you know, even though this is the first time that you've, like, gone into detail and named that, mm-hmm. perhaps because we've known each other for such a long time, perhaps because I'm a Vulcan and so I can do a mind meld, <laughs> that was that was the impression that I got. That was what I mm-hmm. thought. So after you'd agreed to do the politics ep- episode and after the second check-in that we had, I, like, went away um, and I was like, okay, what would be a way that we could do this episode that would feel as painless as possible the least amount of pain for you since you're being a good sport and agreeing to do this episode and what would be a way and like from there i was like okay what would be helpful for our listeners Mm -hmm. um because like spoilers friends this is not going to be an episode where we go through the minutiae of the current main players on the liberal political field in the united states of america yay That was somewhat disappointing for me when I recognized (laughs) that that was not what we were going to do today. (laughs) 
And I really thought about it because there was this part of me that was like, no, but we could really do it. And, and we could like this one and this one and this factoid and this thing in 1992. And um, I did a lot <laughs> of reflection around it. And I was like, you know what? There are so many podcasts that do that work right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them, I even think they like they do a good job. Um, which is saying a lot for me because as, as you've kind of, as you have named that I will fully acknowledge, I tend to be hypercritical when it comes to politics, political thinkers, and political commentators. Mm-hmm. I think what might actually be helpful and beneficial to our listeners, though, is to have more of almost like a meta conversation of how can we, like, why is talking about politics so challenging? Mm-hmm from like a social sort of like psychotherapeutic perspective mm-hmm. and what might be tools and tricks that you can use to attempt to engage in a political discussion without, you know, like metaphorically blowing yourself or someone else up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my parts, my internal family system, it feels so much more at peace with that idea And I just want to say thank you for setting aside the part of you that very much wants to just, like, throw down factoids like money in a music video. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I appreciate that. I want to say thank you to that part. You're welcome. For whatever reason, this made me imagine myself next to Ty Dolla Sign. <laughs> does that spark joy? I mean, it kind of does, yeah. Because <laughs> it was me in like full Spock regalia next to Ty Dolla Sign. <laughs> and let me be clear, friends, this is not an endorsement or a non-endorsement on Ty Dolla Sign. This is, this is a total fan fiction riff that i'm doing right now (laughs) where he is throwing down money and you are throwing down a political fact yes and now i'm imagining that like cork is there and he's throwing down bars of gold press latinum (laughs) (laughs) and now we are so far out of my realm of understanding that i'm just like yeah millennial stuff that's true well <laughs> i don't know if this is so much millennial at least like the cork bit isn't so much millennial stuff as it is like deep space nine stuff which is a an element of the star trek universe that i don't you never got like super into no it, that's still millennial stuff to me oh okay yeah no that's fair yeah it is kind of like millennial children entertainment um, we'll see how much like we can use DS9 um, in terms of fandom references. It may prove useful in part because DS9 as a show is very much trying to do what Battlestar Galactica did, the reimagined series that followed it up, which was like look at the current sociopolitical landscape in America slash the world and use that to inform its storylines. Hmm. And it... Okay. It, it, it sometimes it was successful and sometimes it just kind of turned Starfleet into this like really militaristic hmm. colonial entity. Cool. That was kind of a bummer and that I think Next Gen avoided. What did I say to you earlier? <laughs> neat. Neat. That's right. You said neat and then grimaced. <laughs> 
Okay. So let us, let's dive in to maybe like tips and tricks for folks to start to think about before they engage anyone in a political discussion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Do, are, you, are you starting? Do you want me to start? What's happening? Sure. I'll start. Um, okay. So I think first things first, and we're going to come back to this idea, but I think first things first, right out of the gate, it's very important to not do what I usually do IRL when you and I are trying to have political discussions, which is I tend to drop in little, little factoids. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, apropos of nothing. I mean, it's apropos of something. It's apropos of something that's happening in your system. Yes, it's happening in my system. It's happening in the world. But, like, we will be having a discussion about, like, you know, like, one of the chapters we're editing that is not directly related to politics and then all roll in with an unfortunate <laughs> factoid. <laughs> yeah, and it makes me the saddest when it's about the Obamas. Yeah, that was that was what I was thinking of, like my recent factoids about the uh, what the legislation that the Obamas are backing and related to police reform. Um, and it and it it is it's a bummer, and it makes you sad. And it's a great example of me not checking for consent. Hmm. Yes, that is a good example of you not checking for consent. And and baseline. Especially if you, if, especially if you're going to engage in a dialogue with another human that you want to continue having a relationship with, <laughs> checking for consent is not only the polite thing to do. I think just in general, but it's mm -hmm. when we're talking about politics, it's very important because this can be so sensitive. It it, it involves really big feelings, and if you don't check for consent, you could really end up hurting the other person by accident, simply mm -hmm. because they're at a different place than you are in terms of readiness to talk about politics. Yeah. And I mean, this, this is a rule of thumb. Anytime we're going to bring up a, a big conversation or a, a charged topic, mm -hmm. um, it's always nice to check for consent. Like if, if I'm going to bring up a big topic and like, I want Spock to support me, I will, I will send a DM that says something like, I have something upsetting. Can we talk about something? Ups Can you hold something upsetting right now? Yeah, that's true. And <laughs> um, this, this is not political, but it is related to, to, to this idea. Um, I was doing some research for our book and I was like, oh my God. Oh yeah. Something upsetting headed your mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. if you can't hold something upsetting do not read and then like enter dot enter dot enter dot enter dot and then this upsetting factoid i found about this um th this gaming this game designer yeah which which i found out you already knew <laughs> But still, your point is well made that you were being very thoughtful because you had no idea what I was doing that day, which was mm -hmm. a Saturday. And I remember it because I was cleaning out the shower, <laughs> which is one of the tasks that I hate most in life. Mm. And if you had, <laughs> if you had just like rolled up and just like 
pushed out this really unfortunate series of factoids about this particular gaming designer without checking like this. And I had not already known this. That mm -hmm. coupled with the fact that I was cleaning the shower, it might have been enough for just for me to just feel like that's it. I can't. Saturday's over. Saturday's over. It's canceled. I'm leaving. The, I'm going to go lay down in bed. I'll see everyone again in 15 hours. <laughs> but luckily, you had that beautiful spoiler. I had a t I had time while I was like crouching in the shower, scrubbing away grout to really crouching think about Kirk hidden shower <laughs> exactly to really think about if I was ready. And then I scrolled down. I decided I was, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I know this. That guy is just the worst." And then I like scrubbed a little harder at the grout, thinking about how that guy is the worst. <laughs> Yeah, and you even responded. You were like, oh, I, I wish you had told me you were going to be running down this particular rabbit hole today because I would have warned you yeah. that you were going to find that. And I, it was it was just such a beautiful encapsulation of like how we take care of each other. Mm -hmm. Because like the, this is this is both checking for consent as well as being mindful informers for each other you know right if i if i had said hey spock fyi i'm gonna be running down leads on that particular game today you would have said hey hey <laughs> fyi there's some hard things about one of the co-creators how ready do you feel to look at that <laughs> right to which i would have said oh wow I feel okay with that, but thank you for letting me know. I didn't I didn't want to be surprised by that. Mhm. Mm well, and this is a nice segue into something I thought we'd get to a bit later, but I think it also makes sense to to talk about this now that um folks have like fandom attachments is it doesn't just apply to fandom. Mhm. Mm um if you're new here, welcome. When we say fandom attachments, we're referring to parasocial relationships. For those of you who are like, what is that? That doesn't, you've answered a question by posing another question. <laughs> you therapist, you. Um, so what we're referring to is often like the one-way relationship between a consumer of media mm -hmm. and the person being depicted on that media. That's what we mean by fandom attachment or slash parasocial relationship. We like to use fandom attachment because it sounds more fun. Mm -hmm. um, and we're all about fun here. Well, uh, yes, I think that's true. We're all about fun here. Um, and how this relates to politics is this, that as human beings, we really get attached to different political figures. Mm, that's so true. And in fact, political figures, especially when they're running for office, part of that process is trying to make you think that they are connected to you. Mm, they're trying to form. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get you to form a fandom attachment. They are. Yeah. Which is very similar to like the YouTube community, right? That mm. part of what they're doing too is they're trying to get you to form this with them. They're trying, they're mm -hmm. doing all kinds of things with the way they talk to you, how, how and when they respond to comments to really foster the creation of this parasocial relationship. And there is an element of it that's then being co-created, right? Mm -hmm. and it's and it's not specific to you they right. don't actually know you like for example alana davidson who is one of my favorite beauty gurus she's from canada she has no idea who i am 
Are you sure? Do you interact with her online? Uh, no, not really. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, like, like many of the people who seem to follow us on social media, I feel most comfortable just observing. <laughs> I know. We, we know that you are all there <laughs> because we check our analytics and we know you're there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, our, our listenership tends to, they like to listen mm-hmm. and engage with us on their terms, which is listening to us. You're right, which is beautiful and so much respect for that because I yep. too, very similar for me, right? And like Alana does all kinds of things as a beauty guru to like invite you in. She has nice quips. She has good jokes. She refers to her viewership as the fam. That's nice. It is. It's really nice. It makes like, it helps me as I create this fandom attachment with Alana. She has, again though, no idea who I am. She's not speaking directly to me. She's not like, this is not a back and forth bi-directional relationship that mm-hmm. exists both IRL and via social media facilitation. This is all one way. And she does things to make it feel like it's, le- it's not so one way, but it mm-hmm. still is. And politicians, they do exactly the same thing. And they're often really good at it. And so what that does is it fosters for people this sense that not only do they feel like they know Barack Obama, they have this personal connection with him, but they feel like they mm-hmm. know him. Like that right. they know things about him. And right. like that- I know that I, I know that he likes soul music and I know that Michelle works out at Soul Cycle, which was two soul facts. I didn't mean them to be, but they are. There they are. And so I feel <laughs> a soul connection to the Obamas and their kids and their dog. Mm -hmm. And you, and because this is part of what the mind does, your mind creates stories about those facts Mm -hmm. and forms relational ties and your emotions respond to those fictional relational ties. Again, some of it's based in fact, like Michelle Obama exercising at soul cycle. And I also like cycling. You I don't do. like SoulCycle because they're problematic. And mm-hmm. Michelle probably doesn't like them now either. See, I call her by her first name and I assume facts about her <laughs> right? on but things that I know. <laughs> this is the phantom attachment. You feel like you know her. You feel like mm-hmm. you can like that you can make judgments about her and, and like read things into her motivations and her actions because you have mm-hmm. an active fandom attachment with her. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, I think probably the first time we did it in terms of supernatural, but the Obamas work really well here and they very, are very appropriate for this political discussion because part of what happens over time is that you have a headcanon version of the Obamas. Mm-hmm. I do. That is separate from the actual Obamas. Mm. I reject that so hard. I know that it's true. I know that it's true and I reject it. And and as we're talking about this, what's coming to my mind is is absolutely the Clintons. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. And I don't Yeah, and I don't yeah. want to go too far down this road because we said we weren't going to get into like specific political folks, mm-hmm. but I think this is a really excellent example of this headcanon. Yeah. Because the the Clintons came into the greater public eye in the 1990s when I was teenager. 
And my my dad was the mayor, for those who don't know this, my dad was the mayor of my hometown uh, from 1994 until he passed in 2009. Um, and so he was, he was very involved in politics, particularly liberal politics. And so when Clinton came on the scene, like, we were excited about that. Right. right? Um, and even before dad was mayor, he was on the borough council. So like, we were we were steeped in liberal politics. And so Bill Clinton appears. Wow. We've got a liberal political figure who's cool. Right. He plays the saxophone. He's on MTV. This is a big deal. His wife is a feminist. She uses her maiden name like the Clintons were a big deal at my house. Mm -hmm. And I met him. I we've discussed whether or not we will share the photo of me meeting him. <sighs> Um, because it's, it's a whole thing, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it, it was a windy day. Nobody warned me not to wear a Bessie Johnson dress onto a tarmac. Um, <laughs> I'm just not even going to go there. We're just going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep going. Please continue. Uh, yeah, it, it was not it was not as cute as when it happened to Marilyn. Um, <laughs> now we'll have to share the photo. Um, anyway, I definitely had this headcanon of like who the Clintons were. Yeah. And I carried that with me for a long time. And their daughter, Chelsea, was like about my age. And my parents would tease me and like call me Chelsea. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it, okay. yeah. I mean, these are stories you don't know because why would you? That's fair, right? Um, but I was, I was very invested in the Clintons and in mm -hmm. Chelsea, and you know, as she grew up and got married, and I was like, oh look, Chelsea's doing okay. Me too. Cool. Um, and oh, so I'm so sorry for that time recently when I rolled up and told you that awful factoid <laughs> about Clinton in 1992. Right. So that was well, really. I'm sorry. So, but here's the thing. Like, you didn't know this whole backstory. No, but I did not check for consent. And had I checked for consent, you might have been like, Larissa, let me tell you the story of my fandom attachment with the Clintons. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, hardly anybody knows this story. Who knows me now? Like, well, friends of mine. A lot of people are going to know it now. Yeah, they're going to know it now. <laughs> friends of mine from high school knew pieces of this. Sure. But those aren't people that I see every day. Sure. Yeah. And I, we're not checking in with each other like, hey, so how you doing with the whole Clinton thing? You know? <laughs> right. No, right now that's real. Yeah. You know? And so when, and I think of myself as a younger person, and I have to remember that younger me had a younger brain and yeah. had a younger understanding. And- and so, like, thinking back on younger me and younger me's understanding of the Monica Lewinsky situation. Oh. Younger me had a very different understanding of what happened there. Mm -hmm. Like, grown up me has a lot more understanding of power dynamics and consent um, and, and all of that. But me at the time, like, d my, my circle... Mm -hmm. of of family and whatever like 
there there were a lot of there were a lot of pretty gross jokes going around sure right um and it and it did not tarnish mm-hmm. my my child view or my teen view yeah of the clintons and so even knowing what i know now when hillary hit the ballot there was a teen part of me that was like fucking finally. Right? And I know I, that, I, I that know. you don't that you don't have that part. No. I I I didn't know that you had that this was part of like the teen part of you, but I do remember mm-hmm. when we were much younger humans mm-hmm. in 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. when this was happening. And predominantly that was back when I was still on Facebook. So I saw a lot of this going down for you via Facebook. And at the time, I'm very grateful that I had like enough of a sense to be like, you know, this seems really important to Justine (laughs) in a way that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I am just going to give respectful space to that. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't get it. Yeah, well, and I'm glad that you gave me that space because I wouldn't have at that time. I don't think I could have given it the voice that I can give it now. Yeah, and I don't think at that time I I could have been remotely sensitive enough. <laughs> so I'm really glad that past me was like, you know, you're just like not ready to do this, Larissa. Just so just don't do it. Don't yeah, do so it. So just don't do it. Just don't yeah. do it. Hmm? Great. Yeah, and. I, and I didn't have the parts language, which I think is really necessary for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those of you who are new, <laughs> again, welcome. <laughs> we're so glad to have you here. And when we're talking about parts, we're referring to we're referring to internal family systems theory, which basically in a nutshell is this. Consciousness is not singular. It is plural. Hmm. What that means is this theory says that your consciousness has a bunch of different parts and a leader of all the parts, kind of like the orchestra conductor or band conductor, if you were a band kid. And that is what the IFS folks call the capital S self. I don't love the label, but it's the label that Dick Schwartz gave us. Um, So there it is. the label we have been given. It is the label that we have been given. Um, and so, and that the capital S self leads all the, the rest of the parts of the consciousness. Mm-hmm. Back to what you were saying. Right. Yes. And different parts of us feel different ways. And that is how there can be both a radical feminist part of me mm-hmm. that recognizes the systemic problems yeah. around the Clintons and a teenage part of me mm-hmm. that remembers my phantom attachment to them. Yes. And and still very much sees them as these like pseudo parent figures. Mm. And myself as Chelsea. Yes. That's beautiful. I I was not expecting you to find that beautiful. <laughs> well, I find it beautiful because I, I think it goes back to something that we've talked about quite a bit in our personal conversations and on the podcast, this idea that like our first experience in a social group 
gives like conditions are, are the templates that we use to understand the world, the stories that we use to understand the world. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, our first social group was in our, our, our first family group. Mm -hmm. So we had our core caregivers, also known as parents. For some of us, this was mom and dad, but for some of us, it was grandma and grandpa. For some of it, it for some of us, it was like Ted and Nancy, um, you know, regardless of, of the, the specific label that you used, the role mm -hmm. was of core caregiver. Mm -hmm. And as we grow, the core caregiver becomes synonymous in this original story that we have with leader and leadership. Mm -hmm. And so part of what happens when we hit adulthood and we start looking and thinking, we start looking at politics and thinking about politics is that that first story shows up for us. Sure. And whatever our experience was with our parents and however we understood that and whatever the details of that first story was that we had, that immediately is like, it's like the first, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not sieve. Lens? Lens, perhaps. It's the first lens that we mm -hmm. use to try to interpret and make sense of these political figures in front of us. And I mm -hmm. think that also helps to explain like the close personal connections and strong feelings that people have to political figures, because part of it is that they're being influenced by not just the story of parents, but their own connection to their parents. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I met Bill Clinton because of my dad's social and political status. Mm -hmm. And he was so, he was so proud that day. You know, it was, it was, it was a big deal for him. Um, and so it was a, well, it was as big a deal for me as it could be at the time. I was sure. a surly teenager. But but in the years <laughs> after, like the what reinforced this idea was when I told people that I had met Bill Clinton, like they it was a big deal for them. Right. Because it tapped into their own fandom attachments. Mm -hmm. And that photo's fucking legend in my friend circle. It was, I mean, it was hanging in my childhood home until it right. wasn't my childhood home anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think this is really interesting because it's not the direction I intended to go today, but here we are. Mm -hmm. um, is it might be of use to get curious with your friends mm -hmm. about what, why they have phantom attachments to who they have phantom attachments to because yes. we we, t we make assumptions yeah right and you know sure i was a teen in the 90s and bill clinton played the saxophone and all teens thought he was cool and like yes there is there is a part of that there's a piece of mm -hmm. that but there's this whole other yeah. like that's one slice of pie and there's a whole fucking pie right and so what are the stories that your friends have that have them supporting one person over another person or, mm -hmm. or holding a certain belief over other beliefs? Right. And this is where mindful curiosity can be really helpful because it helps to us to shift into a space 
again, to borrow from IFS, the capital S self is mm -hmm. one of it. The cornerstones of the capital S self is curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I think mindfulness can help us help us really ground into this place of being curious, even as we notice the parts of ourselves that are being really activated. Mm -hmm. And curiosity is what we need as individuals and our friends are going to need too, if we're going to be able to have a dialogue and a conversation around like, huh, wow, like what, what parts of your childhood and early adolescence, like from those experiences, what did you learn about parents and leaders? Mm -hmm. And how do you think that's showing up here for you? Yeah. And how you like, you're engaging with the political system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm becoming very aware of, um, of a part of me that I didn't, that I didn't even realize was, was there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm getting a little emotional, which is unusual for Aww. me on the pod. Um, but there is a part of me who has a real soft spot for political figures. And that's because of my dad. Yeah. And that's legit something I've never thought about or put together. Mm. I, there is a part of me who believes, even though other parts strongly disagree, yeah. there, there is this very young, vulnerable part who believes that civil servants are fundamentally good-hearted. Yeah. Yeah. Even though these other parts are like, well, that's just <laughs> young, vulnerable part. I hate to tell you this, but that is just, it's just untrue. <laughs> well, uh, I guess I would offer that. I think that that, that's maybe like part, part of what is true of civil servants and politicians, mm -hmm. um, which perhaps is like an unexpected thing for me to say because I, I tend to be really cynical and critical mm -hmm. of our political leaders. Um, but I do think that it is, I think it's important to like leave the door open that like people are attracted to politics for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. And I, I think absolutely one of those reasons could be wanting to do good and wanting to help and wanting to make things better. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, this reminds us of the conversation that we had recently about systems, and in particular, the system of the police in this country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The current political system that we have, I think it takes people who want to do good, and I think it has a really negative impact on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of that is, is sort of like endemic to systems of power. And mm -hmm. this makes me think of like my high school history teacher who had this like little stamp on his podium that said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, he sounds delightful. He was, he was really, really delightful. Um, he like certainly impacted many of the things, like many of the ways that like I try to look at the world and be critical of the world. And I'm sure mm -hmm. that like he is part of why like I tend to look at politics from more of a mm, skeptical to highly critical place. Because <laughs> my memory of him is that like every week he was up there being like, mm -hmm. remember kids, it doesn't matter how well intentioned these politicians are when they begin, they're going to go into this system 
and it's going to churn them up. Mm. Who was president when you when he was your teacher? Uh, George W. Bush. Mm. Who I would, and this is my this is this is my personal opinion, but I don't I don't think George W. Bush was 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 going was moving to civil service from a place of altruism. <laughs> this, this is the limb you've gone out on. Yeah, this is the limb I'm going out on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I I can recognize that there. I mean, there were parts. My dad had parts too, right? And mm-hmm. there was a part of him that was very focused on on not power exactly but on status um which that's power hmm i what i mean is his that's fair i'm talking about his conception he wouldn't have conceptualized it as being in power Mm. um he would have conceptualized it as being a big fish in a small pond Something that he literally said mm-hmm. was that because people would often ask him, like, why don't you run? Why don't you run a bigger race? Like, why don't you, you know, sure. why, don't you go to the, why don't you go to the Capitol? And he said, I'd, I don't want to be a little fish in a big pond. I want to be a big fish in a small pond. Um, which, yeah, that, that does sound like power. I was just like going to be just like over here giving space. <laughs> you're, you're like, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. And I didn't put this on like our, our notes for today because I came up with a whole plan and an outline. But like this is part this is another tool that I think can be very helpful when you're having a political discussion mm-hmm. with a friend slash family member that you want to continue to have a close interpersonal relationship with is when you're in doubt of how to respond, don't. Mm. take some take some moments mm-hmm. because these are deeply personal issues for all of us it's part of why politics is so hard to talk about and i think it's also part of why as you know like in the generation of like gen xers and millennials it has become the thing it's become uncouth to talk about politics in a lot, in, in, in most of our social spheres, right? It's like, well, don't do that. That's rude. Mm-hmm. We're bringing the casserole to hell in Midge's house. Don't bring up politics. <laughs> um, here in Minnesota, we call that a hot dish. That's true. You do. A hot dish with some bars. <laughs> we're we're going to do a hot dish and then we're going to do some bars, okay? Mm-hmm. And remember, <laughs> don't talk about it. We're not talking about Trump. No, oh, no. No. Mm-mm. Just if he brings it up, you just you <laughs> nod. You have a sip of your beer. <laughs> <laughs> From a microbrew. A microbrewery. <laughs> oh my god, that was so good. Oh, I couldn't keep character just because that was that was really perfect. Yeah, very twenty twenty. Um, and and I and this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the Frankfurt School, right? Which has just been one of my like side projects over here. The Frankfurt School, a bunch of um, German Jews who fled Germany between like the the fall of the Weimar Republic and the rise of um, the Nazis. Oh, this, what a what a what fun facts you always bring, right? I'm just just the bear of fun. Um, I feel like your hot dishes. 
<laughs> they don't come topped with tater tots. Real thing, friends who aren't from the Midwest. Yeah. Um, but they come to- they they come topped with fat facts. They do, and which and I think that like that would be best symbolized by Tabasco. I would put a lot of Tabasco on my hot like, dishes. Oh, it's so your hot dish is so hot. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, it's great, isn't it? And they'd be like, who is she? Why? I was is like, she? it's it's spicy hot, not temperature hot. Yeah. Yeah, I need some more water. Um, <laughs> I can hear producer Brian just laughing in the background. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's loving this. This is best day ever for him. Um, but the Frankfurt School, they were they were trying to critique fascism. They were trying to understand what's caused it to grow, why is it here, what comes next. Basically, mm-hmm. trying to solve the like trying to solve the question of power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Some people are attracted to political office from an altruistic place, but regardless of why they're attracted to it, they go in there. And sometimes they, and, and more often than not, it becomes about power and control and dominance. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they put forth that they thought was highly problematic was the separation of politics from daily life. Hmm. And they kind of had this theory about pretty much everything. Like they saw, well, because like, you know, spoiler alert, friends, for those of you who don't know, they were socialists. Well, some of them were socialists. Some of them were Marxists. But all of them pretty much agreed that, like, capitalism is a system, an undiluted capitalist system was a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Fascism bad, capitalism also bad. In some ways, they posited there's lots of overlap on the Venn diagram of fascism and capitalism. Hmm. And they saw that they, part of what they, th- they, they, they thought that they saw capitalism doing, which I tend to agree with, is that capitalism is like it's separating things out. Rather than being like an integrated human being in terms of like you're inter- integrated in what you're doing on a daily basis. You're not like running to get your food. Which I guess in this example would be like an antelope. You're not running to get the antelope to kill the antelope. R.I.P. Ant- antelope. Um, <laughs> and then like carrying it, hoisting the carcass onto your back, bringing it back to your cave, hanging out with your wife as you work together to, like, use the carcass of this antelope for both food and clothing. Now, in more modern capitalist systems, we have, like, well, in this area you go to the gym. In this area you go to work. This, in this section you see your wife. In this section you parent your kid. In this section you talk about politics. Mm-hmm. Everything is separated out and compartmentalized. And they saw that as a disease. Because it leads to a fragmented consciousness. Hmm. And, it, and it fosters and maintains um, basically dialectical separation, right? And their idea was like opposing opposites. Some opposites are... This is going to sound awful. More opposite than other opposites. Um, <laughs> I love philosophy. Isn't it great? Um, <laughs> I do, though. But it's the idea that like some things, like the master-slave dialectic, these are two opposites, but they, are, they have an inherent interpersonal connection and dynamic. 
and that capitalism, where once you had an integrated person who both had mass, who both had control and say over their life and what they were working on, i.e. producing, the master-slave dialectic separates that out and assigns the role of the master to one person and the role of the slave to another person. So for those of you who are interested, I'm going to include some like info and links in the liner notes. If you're like, oh my God, the Frankfurt School, Theodore Adorno, Walter Benjamin, and Bertolt Brecht. I want to know more. Don't worry. Oh, I got you covered. Oh, this is Brecht? This is Brecht. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Suddenly, I should have led with Brecht because for those of you who don't know, Brecht was a big theater guy. Uh-huh. And um, so- <laughs> Always lead with the theater reference. Lead with the theater reference. Hashtag. Like, I should know. But well, I, we, did, we did it now. Of the many things that this group of folks talked about, and like, I'm going to do um, a trigger warning. So if you wanted, if, you, if you're like, whoa, no, I'm cleaning my shower and I, I can't have anything too serious. It's too hard. Or maybe you're like, I'm cleaning my shower. I need to hear something that's going to make me angry to get the grout clean. <laughs> Have, have I got have I got some missives for you? Um, <laughs> so all these fellas that I just listed off, Walter Benjamin, Bertolt Brecht, and Theodore Adorno, they were all chums. They were Jewish. They were Germans. They were thinking and learning right on the cusp of before Nazism took over Germany. So all so they 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 fled to different parts of Europe and America and continued this like lifelong dialogue with one another and critique of um, humanity, culture, and political systems, attempting to like answer the, the paradox of power and corruption. And one of the things that they mostly agreed on, and I say mostly because like, you know, they were political critics. They didn't agreeing, agreeing with one another wasn't really their thing. <laughs> <laughs> they were, that's not the job. That's not the job. They were into like rousing, challenging conversations, which is an aside led to Theodore Adorno sending his best friend, Walter Benjamin, some like really hard critical letters right before Walter met his untimely end, which was like really sad mm. because Theo really loved Walter and vice versa. Mm. But the thing about Theo and that's very similar to how I show up in political discourse is like, he didn't always check for consent. And even when he did, he wasn't, he wasn't always super sensitive. This sounds like some amazing fanfic we could write later. Oh, I love this. This is so great. I'm so excited. <laughs> Bring it all the way back to politics though. One of the things that they felt pretty strongly about is that separating political discourse out of like regular interpersonal discourse was just gonna it was it was not only was it not gonna provide any type of resolution through the struggles of of uh, systems of power and government it was actually going to perpetuate the problem that mm -hmm. we needed to figure out how to integrate politics and political discussion into our daily interactions and our daily discourse maybe not you know, 24 seven, 365, though. I, I imagine that like Theo would have gone whole hog that way. Um, but it, that it needed to be part of the dialogue because part of what that did then is it brought the theory was that it brought, it brought people back to their core humanity. Mm. That's lovely. 
And it's it's like it's very hard in our current political climate, I think, to like come back to our shared humanity mm-hmm. <clears throat> on this topic because things are so fraught. Mm-hmm. And yet, I guess I would offer that I think it is a it is a worthy project. <laughs> and so, using things like checking for consent, trying to shift and lead with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Thinking about doing mindful reflection of your own political fandom attachment, encouraging and maybe even initiating dialogues with friends and family about like the roots of their own political fandom attachment. These are, are they're, they're tools that you could attempt to use if you heard this, my, my mini monologue here about the Frankfurt School and you were like, wow, yeah, this resonates. Let's try this. Hmm. Yeah, this is this is really helping shine a light on something that's been confusing for me. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that is, um, you know, how how can we engage in thoughtful discourse, mm-hmm. not just when we disagree, but when we know facts that are different? Yes. Right. Um, because there are different folks who are holding different facts Mm -hmm. and where my mind went as you were talking was that everybody's got their own political fanfic that they take as canon Uh uh-huh they've got their own head canon they got their own mm -hmm. political hero's journey and so how do you when when you have a different headcanon that you take to be canon, mm-hmm. how do you then take in other people's thoughts and opinions? Right. Because you you cannot tell me, no one can tell me, that Dean and Castiel are not in a relationship. My headcanon is strong on that. <laughs> yes. I believe I believe that other people believe they aren't. Yes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But we extrapolate that out to the Obamas. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you believe <laughs> that the Obamas that, are problematic in some that ways. The Obamas are problematic, but my headcanon just does not have room for it. Right. Because my headcanon is that they are delightful, always making the right choices. They, mm-hmm. they, have people around them who challenge them and like my headcanon is just f- like they're heroes yeah. in my headcanon yeah right they're they're like captain america in my headcanon mm-hmm. and so how do you approach someone right for whom their headcanon is that the that the obamas are are captain america and ms marvel mm-hmm Like, how do you approach and say, hey, so I respect your headcanon. Yeah. While also wanting to know if you would consent to me sharing with you some canonical information. Right. That I happen to know. And we're getting into one of, like, the shadow side, an aspect of the shadow side of fan fiction. Hmm. Because you can go so, you can get so invested and so involved 
that you can start to struggle to see reality. And our emotions sure. respond. They're so finely calibrated to respond what we are imagining and visualizing mm -hmm. that internally you're going to be getting a lot of feedback from your internal feelings that like, yeah, no, the pandemic is not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. This is an example, friends. Of course, I think the pandemic is a big deal. Please wear your masks. Um, <laughs> Stay I'm using it as an rest. example because like there are people who very much like their fan fiction is their political fan fiction right now is that like the pandemic is not that big of a deal. People are blown out of the water and we all need to calm down and have some good, clean fun. Mm -hmm. And they're so invested in it and they're getting so much feedback from their emotions that it, it really, it starts to, it starts to prohibit their ability to take in alternate facts or even alternate narratives that do not, that, that don't fit with the main narrative from which they're moving. Mm -hmm. And so like, and so curiosity, compassion, inviting someone to take a look at what is, what is their fan fiction? You can mm -hmm. do that. And one of the ways that it might be helpful for you to start to conceptualize ways to do that is to use the following roles that you and I came up with mm -hmm. that people tend to fall into in political discourse. So we got the fact dropper. That's Spock. That's me. <laughs> we have the feeler, also known as the casual racist. I just feel like, you know... Some people are more important than other people. Or, and so the, these folks feel like using feel words somehow makes it not racist. Makes it not racist and just like more true. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, if you just, just join me in reality. And, and, and it's also like one of like the, the yellow flags that you might be dealing with a feeler slash casual racist is when they use phrases like, I know it's not PC, mm -hmm. but don't you just feel like you're safer in the suburbs? The schools mm -hmm. are better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? say this to you over the crisp slaw <laughs> and you might be thinking in your head you didn't even check with me if i consented to this political discourse all i wanted was a break to enjoy this slaw mm -hmm. right oh and you know what the the feeler slash casual racist is not someone who checks for consent mm -mm. like oh you enjoying that slaw you know i used to love the slaw over at Moriarty's before they changed ownership to, you know. The Johnson's like, Crab Shack. <laughs> that exotic food. Who needs that? Am I right? <laughs> and you're just like, this slaw is delicious. Go away. <laughs> and you may also be at that moment. You're like, oh, my God, what do I do? Is this a point where I move like Theodore Adorno and I lean in and try to really integrate... <laughs> political discourse <laughs> with my daily life and part of how you answer that is spoon theory you pause you do an assessment you're like do i have spoons for this do i have energy for this mm -hmm. and for more info on that if you did not listen to our last ep 
on the Fandom Guide to Activism. That might be your next listen. Right. Next role, probably my, well, I shouldn't say my least favorite role. Um, it's the role of the mediator. And it's the role that on the face of it, it's like, oh, that seems nice. We're meeting in the middle. Mm. And this is going to be one of those times where I'm going to offer that here's a trigger warning. Again, if you don't want what I'm about to say, just do a, a bebop, skip right over. <laughs> While on the face of it, the mediator seems like a nice idea, right? The mediator mm -hmm. works when you're dealing with thing, things that are like, when we agree on the main issue and we're talking about approaches. This is very Midwestern. Right. And the mediator is very Midwestern. So like the mediator can work if like if we agree that um, the system of the police force is not working and we need to build a new system. Mm -hmm. One person is like, I want a peacekeeping force. No weapons, just T-shirts that say love. <laughs> <laughs> Another person is like, I want a basically like a mental health tactical force who is trained to go in and de-escalate crisis situations in full body armor. Mm -hmm. A mediator could be very helpful because we agree on, like, on, the, the, on, the, on the core issue. The central tenet. The central tenet we agree on. The mediator does not work when it's two opposing sides who part of their disagreement is they disagree on the core issue. So as an example, if you're trying to mediate between someone who thinks that um, we should not be caging humans on the United States-Mexico border, that we should not mm -hmm. be keeping people in cages. And the other person on the other side is like, no, that's appropriate. The middle point would be something like, well, how about we just cage less people? Fewer. Fewer people. <laughs> that, that's, that's not a middle ground that really works. <laughs> no. No. Right. And the mediator just jumps in to do that pedantic word. Like, I think you mean fewer people. Right. Um, <laughs> That was really great. I love the way you did that. It was like en vivo example of the mediator. <laughs> it's also the person on Facebook who's like, I think you need an Oxford comma. <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a Oxford comma true believer. <laughs> um. I think so am I, but there's a time and a place. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that that is not a situation where someone can just come in and be like, hey, 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 let's hear both sides. Let's hear both sides. So what what do you feel like is the benefit of having fewer people in cages? Like, right. I, right. 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 That's clearly if we want to get curious about our, our loved one's opinions, mm -hmm. we want to get curious, but we, we also, that's not where we're starting. Right. Right. Like, Hey, uncle Joe, I just I have some questions about where you're coming from with this. Yeah. Not uh, so Uncle Joe, what would you think about just like a few fewer people in cages? Mm -hmm. No. No. 
And sometimes the mediator jumps in because they're like, oh, they're like a bloodhound. They sense the tension. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, they're, they're uncomfortable. Right. And they're like, oh, my God. I must diffuse this. And so this is an opportunity to pause, notice, get curious about what seems to me driving or motivating the mediator. And then you can decide, do you have the spoons to continue to engage? If you do, then an approach that might be helpful would be to be like, oh, like hit pause and ask a variant of the question of how's everybody's vibes? Yeah. The tool of the vibe check. Because maybe Uncle Joe is right. Maybe, maybe Aunt Sally is really getting turned up. And you just, you didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. You do vibe check, like, how's everybody feeling? And if Aunt Sally is like, you know, I, I just, this is, I don't, I don't want to do this right now. Or maybe Aunt Sally will say something like, I just wanted to eat coleslaw. Mm-hmm. So say we all. So say we all. And that's a great indicator. Like, okay, you know what? The mediator, while they were jumping in, they were doing something that maybe you don't appreciate. In fact, Aunt Sally is feeling overwhelmed right now. Mm -hmm. She's getting so emotionally turned that she's not, she can't engage right now. So let's take a step back, have some crisp slaw, you know, and maybe try again over brats. (laughs) Vegan brats. Well, yeah, of course. But good clarification. <laughs> um, we're down to our final three roles that tend to pop up when we're trying to do political discourse. Mm-hmm. We got the jokester. Yeah. Yeah. My, th- this, is, this is the role that my partner likes to play a lot. He, li- he likes to pop into a political conversation and just say something that is so antithetical to what he actually thinks as a way to diffuse and mostly it just makes me more mad. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it confuses. Or yes, or I, well, why I get upset is I'm mm-hmm. like, people don't know that you're kidding. Right. So they don't know whether or not this is actually what you believe. And that's confusing. Um, You know, <laughs> because, because you're wearing a hat that says, like, eat local. And then you're <laughs> saying... <laughs> You have your aviators on, you look like Jason Statham, but now you're saying things that feel very, what's, what's the organization that he likes to parrot? QAnon. QAnon. Mm-hmm. But now you're, you're like pontificating all QAnon. Right. And I'm like, I'd, I don't understand what parts of this are true. Are any of them true? Are you just trying to confuse the point? Mm-hmm. And, like, he, he is poking fun at the QAnon folks and the Flat Earth folks, but he does it with, with such deadpanness that it is infuriating. Yes. And this is where checking for consent can also be helpful, because mm-hmm. in this case, it's clarifying. It's like hitting pause and being like, hey, do you want to talk about the problematic aspects of Joe Biden, Uncle John? <laughs> <laughs> or is this are, are we doing kind of a joke type thing right yeah are are we what are we doing yeah and, and are are we cool are we joking on all sides mm-hmm. right right yeah. if uncle john's bringing up problematic stuff about joe biden like is it is it cool if we bring up problematic stuff about trump 
Mm-hmm. Is that is are all cards on the table? Like what? Yeah. What kind of game are we playing? Right. Assessing that doing a get you know coming in trying to figure out what's happening. Is this poker? Is it blackjack? Is it solitaire? Is it solitaire? <laughs> mm-hmm. These are all great questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and now we have the hider, which I'm going to talk about because that's me. Yeah, that is. I, you. <laughs> I am. I am a hobbit. I'm a political hobbit. <laughs> I. <laughs> And and like I said at the top of the show, like I am happy to talk about the political. I you know I am happy to talk about that which we all deal with every day. I want to talk about the status how how the status is not quo, right? And you know that I I'm down with that. But when somebody wants to literally be like, hey. You know, when when we still had 12 candidates, like, hey, do you want to sit down and talk about the the differences between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders? Oh, and, and like, I did. I wanted to so much. Pick it apart. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> yes. And this 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 created an anti-pattern between us, I think, because then because you were always running away, then I was like, well, I'm not going to check for consent because when I try to check for consent, you run away. So I'm just going to lean into fact dropping, <laughs> which wasn't fair either. No. And and like it, it, I could have been more open to having those conversations as well. But I was also so worried that we would disagree on some fundamental things. Yeah. And that it would cause a problem. Right. Which is totally fair. And I did not want, I didn't want that to be true. And so I made it impossible to be true by not engaging in it. And because I was anxious, because I, I could tell that you didn't want to have the dialogue, I didn't. I never sat down with you and was like, this is important to me. No. No. I never, I never did that. Because if I had known it was important to you, I still would have been uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not like you would say this is, this is important to me and I'd be like, great, wonderful. I can't wait. <laughs> no. You wouldn't have looked at me and been like, neat. But you would not have been like, joyous. And, and, and be like, this is amazing. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. No, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, I just, I just kept my head down and I was like, we're going to get past primary season and then we don't have to t- worry about this again for at least four years. Yeah. Not true, but fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is definitely what the hiding part said. Mm-hmm. It was like, keep your head down. We'll get a nominee. It it doesn't even matter who it is. Yeah. And I think the very nervous part of me was like, let's just wait until it's really important. And right around the time that I was like, maybe it's really important, the pandemic happened. Mm. And then then other things came to the fore. Mm -hmm. Right. It was like, who cares? Everything is awful. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is where this is like the other another tool to think about is um, cautious and conscientious vulnerability. 
Mm, say more. Well, when if you've you know you you've done some like reflection on political fandom attachment, thought about aesthetics and politics, you've done some real thinking and maybe even some conversing about um, the political hero's journey and political fan fiction that exists not just for you but maybe close friends and family. Mm-hmm. Through that, you you probably started to see where there is alignment and where there's differences. Mm-hmm. And then if you feel like you really want to, like you, again, you hit, you, you do some more pausing away from the discourse and reflect and you decide like, I really do want to explain to this person, like why I really feel strongly about Bernie Sanders as a progressive candidate. Mm-hmm. Then it's time to really do some thinking about one, does it feel safe to be vulnerable about why this is important to you? And two, mm-hmm. get real internal clarity about like, what, what vulnerable parts does this touch on for you? Mm-hmm. And for that kind of dialogue, there often needs to be a, a, a high degree of safety and security in the relationship. It may not be the kind of dialogue that you want to have with your Uncle Joe unless you feel real ready to engage shields. <laughs> shields up. Shields up. Because you might get real vulnerable and Uncle Joe might just be like, oh, my God, I hate vulnerability. And he might try a metaphorical suck, like drop kick to your solar plexus. <laughs> you know, and the yeah. way that might go down would be like part of the reason that like I was so attached to Bernie Sanders for such a long time is that. He is Jewish. Mm-hmm. And on my dad's side of the family, I'm what's known as a Catholic Jew. And that refers to folks usually like in and, all, in and around like the Russian border who uh, were Jewish back when their, you know, the ancestors were kicking it in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And then they immigrated to this country and somewhere, you know, between, I don't know, Switzerland and Staten Island, they were like, wait a minute. Being a part of this group, dangerous. <laughs> Cost me and my family lots of problems. Do I want to keep going with this or do I want to put on the Catholic mask? Because there's mm-hmm. lots of Catholic Polish people. I, I don't even have to like work too hard to convince people that that's the group that I now belong to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that, yeah, that would be like my dad's side of the family, like journey in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a lot, it was, it wasn't probably until like my, the end of my 20s where I started to kind of like fill in the gaps and sort of put this together. And so like, and, and, and part of, and as I was doing this process, Bernie Sanders was rising because this was around the 2016 primary season. And I had very much internalized for lots of reasons that I don't think we necessarily need to get into here, but I'd really internalized the idea that like, this is something we hide about ourselves. Hmm. I'm just going to like keep, I just, I get like, it's, it's important that I not cry during this, but it's like really hard for me not to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's that important that you don't. <laughs> um, and so like, I, and so one of the first times that I saw Bernie Sanders give a speech, we were watching it at home, my partner and I, and Bernie was doing that thing he does where he talks with his hands. And my partner turned to me and he was like, that looks just like you. Hmm. And I think that was 
that was one of the first times that that was one of the that like began a conversation that my partner then had about the fact that I do have Jewish ancestry. Mm-hmm. And while I don't practice the Jewish religion, the cultural aspects of it very much show up for me in ways mm-hmm. that I was able to really be aware of at that point in my life and in ways that I wasn't. And so a huge part of my emotional attachment to Bernie Sanders is that it was, it was in, like, in a big way, it was, I think, probably the first time in my life that I was able to really concretely and with full awareness claim and find affinity in my Jewish identity. Mm. I would have been able to have that conversation. I know, I know. It took me a long time to figure that out, though. Hmm. Like, I'm sharing this memories of like, and that was the crystalline moment. No, no. <laughs> I didn't like really put this together until probably like six months ago. <laughs> Why Bernie was so important to me, like on a foundational level in sure. terms of like this aspect of my identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That would have made sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does make sense to me. Right. It does. Because now it was, mm-hmm. we're having it now. Mm-hmm. Yes. It currently makes sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) You you know what is just delightful and was completely unplanned? Is that really this whole pod has been us having this conversation and and showing people that you can have this conversation. Oh, that's really true. Mm -hmm. And we were were so afraid to do it. I didn't, uh, well, I just didn't want to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to, I just wanted to go ahead and hide. You're like, we can, I can just, no, I'll come out later. Yep. Nope. Nope. You know what? Hobbit hole. Pretty great. (laughs) Emotional hobbit hole. Perfection. Um, and I think initially we had had like the last role on here just to kind of bring it all the way back Mm -hmm. was, Something that was like the idea of like the headcanoner. So someone who's like so fused with their headcanon that they don't see the difference between reality and their headcanon. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to offer that we take that role away because I think that's true in greater and lesser degrees for all of us. I, I think that's accurate. Yeah, we we all hold that. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's a matter of like how much can we accept other people's headcanon, right? And I that would be my invitation to listeners today would would be can you in the same way that you can hear about other people's one one true pairing. <laughs> Can you also hear about someone else's one true politician, the new OTP? And I, it doesn't mean we have to accept their OTP as canon, mm-hmm. uh, but we can get curious about what makes that their OTP. Like when, when people ask me about Destiel, I, I can show them what it is that that makes them my OTP. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what... And you just showed me what makes Bernie your OTP. 
And and so that makes sense to me. So maybe maybe this can be a new way that we talk about politics with the people that we care about. Not random strangers on the internet. Right. <laughs> Part of what's um, like really necessary yeah. for this dialogue is an IRL exchange. Mhm. Yeah. In the same way that like you know, like if you're going to do therapy, you need to, it's, it's best if you can be in the same space because you get so much more information. If you can't be, then at least to see and hear the other person. If you can't do that, at least to hear the other person. But text therapy, no, that's not really therapy. That's, that's text crisis intervention. Mm-hmm. That's doing right. some quick de-escalation and then getting that person connected to someone who can do some IRL treatment and intervention. It is important work, mm-hmm. but it is not, that's not going to be where you make the lasting emotional connections. Right. So like you could check for consent via text for sure. You maybe even like mm-hmm. set up the conversation via text, but for everything else, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's an IRL experience. Yeah. Um, well, we've, we've given listeners a lot to think about. Um, let's just, let's just do a little recap. So some of what we talked about today, checking for consent was a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, the idea of the political fandom attachment, um, (laughs) and I, I, I'm looking at it typed out and I realized that we could also have called it fandom attachment political, and then it would be FAP. (laughs) <laughs> and, then that made, and then that made me laugh. Uh, <laughs> um, so you're welcome. Uh, we talked about the Frankfurt School. Well, rather, Spock talked about the Frankfurt School. And I was like, ooh, Burktop Brucht. Um, <laughs> the uh, political hero's journey. Um, scene matching? Did yeah. Did we talk about scene matching? We... <sighs> Not in those terms. We sort of hit mm-hmm. on it with the idea of thinking about starting to get critical for yourself. Where are your ideas of leadership come from? Because they're probably mm-hmm. connected to your early parental figures and models. Mm-hmm. And again, bringing in some like mindfulness and some curiosity to think about to bring more conscious awareness to how you're doing that matching. Mm-hmm. And that really ties in, I think, really beautifully to where we ended, where you were talking about like the OTP. Mm-hmm. Because though I very much have a fandom attachment to Bernie Sanders, the idea I have of Bernie Sanders is separate from who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. And it's been very important for me to like continue to get good on that for myself as Bernie has done things that I don't agree with, like coming out in stance of not defunding the police. Hmm in support of internal change of the police, which is something I don't, I could not, I couldn't disagree with him more on that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the ability for me to sit with the space between Bernie as he actually is and the character version of Bernie that I've created in my own mind Mm -hmm. helps me to show up in different and more nuanced ways as a citizen. And as an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked we, about 
sorry, go ahead. No, I was I was um, just going to say we we talked about different roles of folks you might encounter, like the fact dropper or the feeler slash casual racist, the mediator, the jokester, the hider. And uh, we talked about the importance of, of of checking out the vibe, making sure everybody not only do we consent to the conversation, mm-hmm. but we check for continued consent. Yes. Love that phrase, continued consent checking. You know, everybody's still cool with Mm -hmm. what's happening. Right. We were all cool about starting the conversation. Now things are getting a little bit deeper. Everybody's still okay with that. We could have made it sexual. We didn't. I kind of did, but now I didn't. (laughs) This is, I think, the beauty of having that, like the third eye, which that's very woo of me, but it's also just your stand of <laughs> mindfulness. Mindfulness mm-hmm. is part of what helps you transition between dyads to opposing but related ideas. Uh, because I made a sex joke? Well, yeah, because like you made a sex joke, but then you were also <laughs> like, it's not about the sex joke. It's about doing mm-hmm. vibe checking. But by calling attention to the fact that it's not about that, you allowed it to exist in both places. Mm, yeah, because it does. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> mm-hmm. You solved for Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> Schrodinger's sex joke. If ever it both I had... is and is not a sex joke. It's like if I ever formed a punk band, be Schrodinger's sex joke. That would it both be is and is not a sex joke. That'd be beautiful. Okay. I, you know who I feel bad for right now? The people who immediately turn us off when we start doing our recap. Yeah. That's They sad. really, they have, they have lost today. <laughs> <laughs> for those who hear us start to recap and you, you go to your next pod. Bless. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to close? Um, I think so. What I would add is we didn't we did like a little bit of Deep Space Nine fandoms and then mm. we mostly stuck with political fandoms, so predominantly the Obamas and the Clintons. Yeah. And that's just the tiniest little bit of supernatural. That's true. We may be at the helm of the ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duffy, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. He's a staunch advocate for the dissolution of all nation states. Join us on our next ep. We don't know what it'll be about yet. <laughs> but we will try to make it a little bit lighter. Yeah. Um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> We'll see what's happening in the world. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. And as always, live Live long long and and prosper. prosper.